Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ, and today I'm speaking with Mike Viking. Mike is an author, international speaker, and CEO of the Happiness Research Institute, which is an independent think tank that studies why some societies are happier than others. Their mission is to inform decision makers of the causes and effects of human happiness, make subjective well-being part of the public policy debate, and improve the quality of life for citizens all around the world. And he's also the founding member of the Latin American Network for Well-Being and Quality of Life Policies, and has previously worked for the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Mike, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now, I know that the... Uh, the idea of happiness research raises a few eyebrows, doesn't it? You know, often when you speak, often when you speak, you have to start by addressing those sceptical that happiness can even be studied. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you're, true, you're right. And, and, and it's interesting. Um, I acknowledge there is the skepticism. I have also had that skepticism earlier on. Uh, but I think it's interesting that we are so skeptical towards happiness research because, yes, it is subjective, but... When you think of it, imagine or think of how many things we study and try to approach from a scientific point of view that are also subjective phenomena. Uh, if we talk about depression, if we talk about stress, if we talk about loneliness, anxiety, those are also subjective phenomena. At the end of the day, they're all about how we as individuals experience our lives. Uh, for some reason, uh, there is a larger skepticism towards happiness. <laughs> Maybe because it's in the positive end of, of the, the range of emotions. But, but it shouldn't be any more difficult to, to try and approach from a scientific point of view than, than the other ones. Yeah. And when I mentioned there in the intro, I'm like, one of your missions is to help provide governments or decision makers with, with this research, you know, with this like of hard data about happiness and well-being to help them develop you know, future public policies. Are you, right. sort of, are you encouraged by the speed that happiness research is making its way into public policy or is it quite frustrating and slow process like two steps back one step you know <laughs> two forward one back um no i'm i'm actually i'm really optimistic and i think there are a lot of really exciting things happening globally politically with regard to to happiness uh, and happiness research um to me one of the biggest milestones have been the United Nations Happiness Resolution from 2011, uh, asking all of the countries of the world to focus more on happiness and see what you can do as a country to increase, increase quality of life. And we also see cities, countries, uh, governments, um, you know, looking towards happiness uh, as indicators of, pro of progress. You have the OECD now incorporating life satisfaction as one of the indicators of progress. Uh, of course, famously, you have Bhutan, who have navigated from um, gross national happiness since the beginning of the 70s instead of gross national product. Um, in January this year, I think it was, uh, the UAE appointed a, a minister of state for happiness. I think two weeks ago, an Indian state uh, also established a happiness ministry. So there's a lot of really, really exciting things happening. But it, it's, it's, of course, part of a sort of slow tectonic shift of paradigms going from the classic way of measuring progress in terms of economic terms going over to to something that is about quality of life. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, I mean, you mentioned yourself, I mean, there's so many sort of varying, you know, there's so many different factors that affect our happiness. You know, you've got like, you know, your genes, your hereditary, your society, like there's so many different elements. Um, and I think 
nowadays, you know, there's sort of a tendency to try and you know, always simplify a thing, and you know, people want quick fixes, you know, right. to, to issues that maybe are more <laughs> intricate and complicated. Yeah. But having said that, I'm actually going to just, I'm just, despite, <laughs> despite preframing it, like when listening to a lot of stuff, that you, you start to notice patterns and you know that coming up again and again you know right. things like spending quality time with people you love being active doing things that are meaningful to you if you really had to like you know really simplify i mean are, are those kind of things if we can really just focus on a few things i mean those things i mean are they are they really going to make a big difference if we can really do those things even more yeah um but i mean and you're spot on it's it's i mean it is super complicated i i like to use the analogy of health or you know life expectancy that is also super complicated with a lot of factors that influence that everything from genetics to smoking diet alcohol exercise same thing when it comes to quality of life life satisfaction uh, subject to well-being genetics age you know where you're born what policies what do you do in your past time sense of purpose kids everything so there are there are many factors but but you do hit on some of the key factors uh, that explain why why some uh, why some people are happier than others. Um, you know, uh, and one of the most consistent patterns I find not just in the local Danish data but the global data is the uh, importance of our relationships, so quality relationships with friends and family. And of course, from a from a scientific point of view, it is it is. Um, frustrating to uh, come up with what we have known for years uh something that is very trivial and banal that you know friendships matter uh, thank you very much happiness research how would the <laughs> other wise have known uh, but i think the, the, the encouraging or the exciting thing is that we we now got data that supports it and we have numbers and evidence in a sort of more hardcore way we can present to policymakers and and I think that sort of moves the ball more forward in terms of getting their attention to to some of these uh, these areas. And I think that's what's exciting about it. You're, you're hoping for that eureka moment. Like, we found the secret sauce. <laughs> Guys, we've done it. We've done it. Oh, friendship and family. Damn it. No. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> no, but it, on the other hand, it is encouraging that we are finding the evidence consistent with what you would imagine. That friendships matters, that family matters, that a sense of purpose matters, that, you know, of course, people who are employed are more happy than people who are unemployed. People who are married are happier than single people. People who are healthy are happier than sick people. All those things we would imagine that we would find, we do find. And I think that's also a testimony to sort of the, the strength and the validity and the reliability of, of the, the data. Yeah. So um, I can find comfort in that. <laughs> well, then trying to overcomplicate it, maybe, you know, we, we've no, we, know, we know it all along, you know, and so it's actually just almost to recognize that. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the exciting things are, are also try to, to, you know, follow people over time, see what kind of policies, what kind of interventions, what kind of initiatives, you know, do affect their life satisfaction and quality of life in, in the biggest uh, possible way. Yeah. And you, um, you um, at the Happiness Research, you, you've, um, you, you do some amazing studies. You put out some incredible papers. Um, you know, you take, you know, sort of a, 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 you know, a spread of just, you know, society, you know, completely different ages, different people. And then you do some of these amazing tests. Like there's a really great one recently, which I just read um, about, you know, social media. That's, you know, fascinating. You know, social comparisons matter, right. don't they? And yeah. uh, they affect how we feel. 
Exactly. Um, and it, it's, it's also one of the, the sort of re-emerging patterns that we see in the data that we make these social comparisons. We can see it, for example, when uh, we look at the importance of income. Uh, we can see that people not only care about absolute income, but what we call relative income. So how much money do you make compared to your neighbor or your reference group, the, 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 the people you went to school with and so on. And, and we, we, we care about relative income because we care about not just our ability to consume, but our position in the social hierarchy. Um, that is also why we can see when, you know, when people become un unemployed, uh, of course, they have a higher risk of uh, suicide because you lose your income, you lose uh, some of your self-esteem, your network, your sort of purpose, your identity. Uh, but, but what we find is, or what other studies find is that uh, there is a higher risk of suicide from unemployment in an area with low unemployment. Um, disregarded that, you know, it, it would be easier to find a new job where there is low unemployment, but because you are the only unemployed around, then the, the you know, the, the social comparison effect is stronger there. So, so we, we do find this often that social comparisons matter. So we wanted to have a look at how social media um, sort of affects that because social media is this constant channel of social comparison. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's why we looked into that. Right, look how good my holiday is. Look how good my breakfast is. Look how, look how good everyone kind of puts forward, you know, them on their, on their best day, as opposed to yeah. what's real. So what, so other people logging onto Facebook, it's easy to think, Oh, everyone's having perfect holidays, perfect breakfast, perfect relationships. And then that makes you feel worse about yourself. Is that, is that exactly? Exactly. I mean, it, it's it's it's. I mean, it's something we've always done. We've always always uh, cared about, um, you know, signaling, uh, positioning, uh, self positioning. Uh, I think Theplin, uh, an, an old American Norwegian, uh, I think it was economist or sociologist, talked about conspicuous consumptions more than a hundred years ago, where we signal with our consumption what what class we are in, uh, and so we've always done it. But it's just. With social media, we get this uh, new platform, which is a very efficient way of, of doing it. And we are constantly bombarded with the great news of everybody we know. Um, so, so we wanted to see how that affects our sort of sense of reality or, or our life evaluations. Okay. And I mean, you, you prior to this, it was a what? It was a one-week detox. You had two groups. One, carry on as usual, carry on using Facebook as usual. Then there was another um, group. I think it was... 500 in each one roughly and then yeah. and then the other group had a detox of no facebook for a week and, and you thought in just a week because there's so many different factors and it's only a week you're not going to see any real difference but actually you were surprised weren't you yeah yeah i was and, and you're right i mean i didn't i didn't think we would see any effect because it's such a short time and if our theory is correct that um facebook does change our sense of reality and does affect how we feel about our lives well, that's something that is accumulated over time. Uh, so, so just one week, I didn't think we would see an effect. And also, as you said, so many factors influence uh, our happiness. But yes, pretty much every indicator of quality of life, life satisfaction, um, stress, anxiety, envy, uh, what kind of emotions we experience on an everyday basis, both positive and negative ones, we saw a, a positive effect from going without Facebook. Um, significant uh, stati statistically increase in, in life satisfaction for, for one instance. The question is, uh, we did this study 
December 2015, I think it was, or November. Um, if I ask those people again who went without Facebook and had this incredibly positive experience, are you still on Facebook today? I imagine nine out of ten at least would say yes. Uh, so, so the question is, you know, why do we, if we have this experience and we know there are some negative effects from it, why do we continue to do it? I don't know. <laughs> that's, 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 I mean, that's, that's, another, that's another question for a different study. So, so what kind of, building on that idea, like what kind of, uh, what is the, kind of the implication of this? Like, in, in light of the, these kind of evidence, what kind of questions do you think we as a society need to be asking? Like what kind of questions do we need to be raising? I think we need to start addressing um, you know, what do we actually need um, and in order to be happy. And, and I mean, there was a famous sentence that, you know, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. <laughs> and I think a lot of us, including myself, are bad at judging you know, why I'm, why am I doing this? Do I really need it? Will it bring me increased quality of life or am I doing it because everybody else are doing it? Do I want it because everybody else has it? Um, and I think we have reached for many societies, yours, including mine, um, sort of, you know, peak, uh, peak level for, um, getting happiness from stuff. Um, you know, of course, there is a relationship between consumption or income and well-being at the bottom end of the scale. Uh, you know, being without money is, of course, a cause of unhappiness. But once we reach a certain threshold, additional income doesn't really generate marginal happiness. Yeah. And I think a lot of countries, I think a lot of people right now are struggling with converting wealth into well-being. Um, and, and, and that is a code we need to crack, uh, because otherwise we're just, you know, exploiting resources. We really don't have too many left of, uh, to pursue some sort of happiness that we just aren't getting. Um, so, so, so I think that's one of the key questions of our time. Yeah. Since you started and you know, you've done all these studies and research, um, what's, I don't know. What's been one of the most surprising things you've learned? Have, have, have there been any sort of, uh, I don't know, complete paradigm shifts? Has there been any moments when, like, you know, you just, just that, that's been really surprising? Or have a lot of your theories been then actually backed up by, the, like, the research and data which you found? Um, both. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of, of, you know, confidence in, in, in what we found because uh, it, it does reflect what we, we what would we think we find um, some of the surprising and some of the I think encouraging things that we have found uh, is several things but one of them is that I really enjoy seeing how similar we are across the globe I think there are so much more than unites us than sets us apart and I think that's a quite encouraging especially in in times like these that you know, the same things that drive happiness in Asia are the same thing that drives happiness in, in Europe and the US. Um, and, and I think that's quite encouraging that, that yes, we are from the UK or Denmark or, or 
Bangladesh or the US, uh, but we are first and foremost humans. And I, I think that's quite exciting uh, that, that we do see some clear patterns across cultures, across time, across generations, across, uh, across countries. Yeah. So would you say, based on that, would you say, generally speaking, you, I mean, you, are, you, are you optimistic about the future or are you more concerned by what you see? Um, both. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic in the sense that when, when we look at the progress in, for example, something like the, the World Happiness Report, there's a lot of good things happening globally in terms of raising a lot of countries, a lot of regions uh, when it comes to, to life satisfaction. The concern is that we are also in many countries seeing an increase in, in inequality when it comes to, to well-being. And I think that will be a theme that will bring uh, even more to the table in the coming years. Uh, we've been talking about inequality for, for more than a century, but mainly from an economic point of view. Recently, at least in Denmark, we've been talking about uh, inequality in health as well, but we will definitely need to address inequality also from a well-being point of view in the, in the coming years, uh, because that is uh, increasing as, as we see it now. Why do you why do you do this? Why do you do what you do? Sorry. Why do you why do you do this? Like what what's what's your driving force? I just think it's incredibly interesting. I'm just I'm just you know I'm just really really curious and I'm just really really fascinated with the subject. I I, I really um, enjoy that the field of happiness research is first of all something that I think every sort of scientific discipline can contribute to uh, work with economists philosophers sociologists um, you know neuro neuroscientists uh, political scientists and, and and I think everybody can contribute to this field and um, you know give some additional insight to it uh, secondly I think it's also incredibly rewarding to to try to answer the simple question of why are some people happier than others and and you know one thing one thing is the work but another thing is all the things you do in your free time you know conversations you have with people all over over here uh, books you read movies you see suddenly gives or you know, provides this extra dimension because it also gives you insight to your uh, professional field uh, and i think that's that's quite rewarding and you know um I think it's just incredibly interesting that we are also at a time where we do have a lot of methods, we do have a lot of knowledge within happiness research, but there's also a lot of blank or sort of dark areas on the map. So there's still yeah. a lot of things that need to be explored. And I think that's also really exciting to be part of. Yeah. Well, what's the biggest challenge like that you kind of face then? You or us? Is, is there, are there any, yeah, what are the big roadblocks standing in our way? Mm. I'm getting, I think there's I'm getting deep. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think there. I think there are several. I think there are. I, I think there is. From a um, political point of view, there is still a need to create legitimacy about the field. We it is growing. There is an increase in awareness and acceptance of happiness research among political stakeholders. But there's still a way to go, and I think part of that way needs to be paved by another challenge is to have a better language to talk about these things. If we talk about the economy, um, we can talk about unemployment, we can talk about inflation, we can talk about growth, we can talk about GDP per capita. But if we talk about happiness, we, we haven't yet a 
good enough language, I feel at least, to talk about these things in a serious professional scientific manner. So we, we use broad terms that people interpret differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that of course, also um, fuels the, the skepticism there is about it. So if we have, um, if you have that yeah. common language, then at least we've got a starting point where we can actually start the conversations. The conversations can't even start at the moment because... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so we need to, to, to develop that further. But there is, there is a lot happening these years. Um, also, the, 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 the OECD published a report on, in 2013, I think it was, on guidelines for measuring subjective well-being, where they're trying to address some of these issues about creating a, a sort of standard way of measuring, a standard way of talking about these. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? I, I think I'm I'm not that different to to other people on on that one. Um, I think it is you know accomplishing the goals that you have for your life in terms of both you know personally, family wise, um, professionally, career wise. Um, yeah, very, very much the sort of the the eudaimonic dimension of, of happiness that, that that Aristotle talked about. For him, the the good life was the meaningful life where we have a sense of purpose, and and I think I'm. Um, I'm agreeing with him very much on that one. And what's one thing all our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? <laughs> Just one thing. <laughs> but you got to throw out all your could, data, and you've got to give me one thing. Skip, could we skip the word "massive positive effect"? Because. I don't think there is just one thing um, because so many, so many factors influence our happiness. But, but, I, but, but that said, I mean, as mentioned, one of the, the, the most consistent patterns are, are the, the relationship. But I must also say that the, the more I sort of get into the evidence and the data and the research and the findings, um, stronger believer I get in uh, or become of, of the importance of having a sense of purpose. Um, I think having that driving force makes life a lot easier because having something that you know drives you something that you sort of organize and structure your 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 world around in terms of interests, in terms of pursuits, in terms of you know, books you read, uh, conversations you have, questions you want to answer. I think, you know, I, 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 I do see that as, at least in, in, in my personal case, something that has contributed a lot to, to quality of life and to happiness. Then the next question is, of course, where do you buy one of those, uh, <laughs> the, the purpose? And, and, <laughs> and that's the difficult part, uh, of course. Um, for me, I was in, in my... Uh, early 30s before I sort of discovered what I uh, what I wanted to do with my life um, so it's it's not something that for a lot of people I think are, are easily found um, just you know on day one last but not least how can people find out more about you and your work where can we send them um, I mean first step would be to to visit our visit our website uh, the happiness research institute if if you know uh, they're interested in, in, in quality of life or well-being or happiness in general. Perfect. I'm going to chat that in the link below. Mike, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's been a good one. And I, I appreciate you like you, you chatting to me today. Are you, are you in Denmark at the moment? Are you calling from Copenhagen? Yes. Yeah, I'm calling from Copenhagen. I know you're on your holiday, so you, this, is, this is precious time. And so I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for having me. All right, we'll catch up soon. Thank yeah. you.